You're listening to the Level 5 podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the subjects that matter in business and management. Welcome to the Level 5 Strategy Lounge podcast. My name is James, and today I'm joined by Ian Medell, Managing Partner and President at Level 5 Strategy. Ian, thank you for joining me. Great to be here. So, I'm excited because today we're talking about Canadian Tire, a brand I feel like I've known my entire life and a longtime Level 5 client. It was announced about two weeks ago that Canadian Tire maintained their title as Canada's most valuable retail brand. Just to give our listeners a bit of context, this ranking was done by Brand Finance, an independent brand valuation and strategy consultancy who values companies based on their intangible assets as well as their bottom line. Before jumping into the report and Canadian Tire, I was hoping, Ian, that you'd be able to talk about how Level 5 defines brand. That's a great question, James. Um, We define brand as the value of a promise consistently kept. Let me just quickly sort of break that down a little bit more for you. The value part is the financial value, um, as well as the value of the insight that you get about what makes that brand so unique. Uh, the conversation that we're going to have today is actually around the value piece in terms of the monetary value, and that's what Brand Finance, based in London, England, uh, has done for Canadian brands, and that's what this report is all about. Um, the promise piece of the value of a promise consistently kept is really, if you will, the point of differentiation that you're making to the marketplace, that the brand makes into the marketplace, uh, and then the consistently kept is making sure that operationally the organization from all a- aspects of it um, are actually delivering on that promise. So that's sort of a succinct way of what we think of as brand. No, that's perfect. And um, when we kind of get into the report and look at the top 10, eight of the top 10 most valuable Canadian brands are in banking or telecom. And this isn't terribly surprising, I guess, because they are top of mind. They have been very well established and they perform very well financially. I'm curious though, when you look ahead five, maybe even 10 years into the future, what are some sectors or brands that you're most excited about? Well, I think the the one that's probably most top of mind um, is the cannabis sector. And the legalization of cannabis in Canada is without doubt one of the most interesting and exciting brand building opportunities in a generation. They just don't come along that often. Uh, Not only for this country, but also globally as cannabis becomes legal in in other jurisdictions. And in Canada, we are um, uh, one of the pioneers, not the only one, but one of the pioneers in terms of from a national basis. Uh, So not only for this country, but around the world. So the sectors in the very early stages of development, there's lots of growing growing pains right now. Uh, But for those organizations looking to build value for the long term, these brands will become the crucial driver of that value. Um, and, you know, as I said, we define brand as a value of a promise consistently kept. Um, and it's far beyond Marcom and requires the whole organization to play its part in building the brand. So this becomes more important given the restriction on traditional Marcom techniques that the cannabis industry faces. So their brand building is not going to be as straightforward as your regular sort of CPG type Uh, organization because it's so highly regulated. So there's going to be different levers that they have to use to build their brand. So the brand will be defined by effectively delivering the promise in terms of the product and service quality, the consistency, 
the availability, the safety, the product extensions, and openness to learn and change in a very immature customer journey right now. Um, but the sector is highly regulated, but differentiation is possible and needed for long-term uh, value appreciation. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's really exciting, especially right now. And we've touched on this in a prior perspective piece, but how these cannabis companies are having to shift gears from a race to scale to that brand building and trying to establish a little differentiation. Um, another kind of hot topic uh, and with cause has been tech and digital. It seems as if it's becoming mandatory for business models across most, really, if not all sectors. Can you talk about how companies can really get digital right and how that will influence brand value growth? Well, you're, you're absolutely right that technology or digital should now be immersive in any organization's business model. It's not a separate project. It's not a functional area. It has to be immersive in, in the entire business model. Uh, it should be part of any strategic discussion and seen as an enabler to differentiation and the value proposition put forward to the market. So as much as it's a disruptor, um, it shouldn't be something that you should be afraid of. Um, it should be something that, that's embraced. It's just a new lever, a new tool about how you're either going to bring your point of differentiation uh, forward or to actually create some differentiation. So I think it should be embraced by an executive team uh, at more traditional organizations. When you use the term digital today, the reality is that the necessary changes encompass much more than simply a process of redesigning IT architectures and business operations. Again, it's immersive. Um, rather, companies must rethink everything that touches the customer journey, the design, the research, the product management, the marketing, the support, you, you name it. They have to, it's just, it's immersive. It's, it touches everything and create experiences that likely go beyond a product's original purpose. Organizations that we worked with that take this approach are, are having success with this new competitive reality. I think the next five years will start to separate those who have embraced technology and embraced by the um, executive teams and the, and the broad organization itself. And they're not afraid of this new competition. Some people seem to be paralyzed by it. Um, and you, you just take them on like you would take any, any other competitor on. And it'll separate, again, those people who have embraced it from those who, who are paralyzed by it and, and clearly show the winners and losers. So I think that's one of the, in the next five years, um, you're really going to start seeing the traditional organizations that have adapted and changed and embraced it with those that, that haven't. And that will, the, um, they'll be less successful or they won't be around anymore. Right. Um, on the topic of winners and losers, we are talking about Canadian Tire and um, how they were Canada's most valuable retail brand. I'm curious, having worked with Canadian Tire quite a bit, what are some of the unique or influential ways that they've managed their brand as an asset and uh, how that has helped them differentiate from the competition? Well, it's a good question. I think there are two significant things that they've done. Uh, the first thing, they recognize that the traditional model of retailing, which has been product-driven, has dramatically changed to become customer-driven. Uh, customers have gained a lot of power thanks to technology, social media, uh, uh, mobile purchases. Uh, it, they are clearly in the driver's seat. And as a retailer, they understand that and they've adapted their business model to become much more uh, customer-driven. For example, they can do 
uh, you know, customers can do instant price comparisons, they can do quality comparisons, they can do uh, purchase anywhere, whenever they want to do it. Um, and adapting this changing business model requires a new strategy, it requires new processes, new competencies, and, and culture. And, and I think Canadian Tire has been working hard at this for the past several years. You may recall that they actually, years and years ago, uh, got into e-commerce and they were really too far ahead of the market and it, it didn't go well. And so they folded it all and, um, you know, have re-emerged back in these last couple of years and have really made great strides in this area. The second thing that the organization has taken the time to really understand their brand, the Canadian Tire brand, and treat it as a valuable asset. To be nurtured, to be leveraged, to act as a driving force for profitable growth. Importantly, this brand ownership and culture must start from the top. Um, the chief brand officer of a brand-driven company is the CEO, and I believe that um, Stephen Wetmore excels at this, and he has been a real driving force. Um, they are one of the only organizations I know that have a brand and community uh, committee at the board level. So that's sending a signal when a board committee is, is concerned about uh, the value of the brand, the protection of the brand, how that brand uh, um, emanates itself into the communities, which um, is so important for Canadian Tire. It sends a very strong signal to the management team and all the way down to employees what the role of the brand is. And we know that the brand is the value of a promise consistently kept, and they really deliver on that. Um, you, you talked a bit earlier about customers and how they have more power now with digital. And I also think that it's really changed customer expectations. Um, I read recently that in 2018, Amazon Prime orders doubled. And that has an effect on traditional brick and mortars, where customers now, if they want a product, have different expectations. It's... If I order it online, I expect to have it in less than a week. Can you expand on some of the ways traditional brick and mortar brands like Canadian Tire can compete in an ever-growing digital space? Well, I think the first thing is, is embrace the multiple channels. Uh, they're not going away. Um, and embrace those channels that consumers can now engage in and, and then ensure your operations are extremely competent in all of those channels. And that's a lot of the heavy lifting that the traditional bricks and mortar um, stores are doing is to just just be in that omnichannel space and 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 ramp yourself ramp yourself up to make sure that um, that it's working as best it can. But that's table stakes now, uh, and it seems obvious, but many brick and mortar retailers still have a way to go in this area. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, I think CTC has made great strides over the past couple of years in, in really truly becoming an, an omnichannel retailer. But once you've accomplished that, you shouldn't be satisfied because it's actually not going to be a differentiator for you. It's the table stake because that's what every, to your point earlier, every consumer is expecting that. So you have to look for aspects within each channel that you can be the leader or the innovator in. Um, so once you sort of have got that, that basic table state, then you have to sort of look at, okay, where can I, as you talked about Amazon um, and their delivery and how fast they can deliver things. So you've got to choose within some of these channels where you are going to stick out and, bec and become a leader. Uh, in addition, one of the most significant levers that brick and mortar organizations have to strengthen their value proposition is in the customer experience. So the pure sort of 
digital players, the customer experience is a little bit of, I can order it online, I can get it delivered to me uh, fairly quickly, but it's not that robust a customer experience. So the bricks and mortar guys still have, it's a, it's a powerful lever that they, that they can use. Um, but it does require a clear strategy on the type of customer experience you want to deliver that's relevant to customers and touches the emotional and rational drivers of purchase intent along their journey. And why is it important, I say, emotional and rational? It's important because um, the decision-making of humans is that half of it is done at the emotional level. In fact, that's the first step that you take in making a purchase decision is at the emotional level, and then the rational side of the brain kicks in and takes a look at that decision and has the final veto power, if you will. Right. So um, it's in, in a bricks-and-mortar environment, it's it's a little easier to be able to deliver that powerful emotional and rational uh, experience and you really need to understand how that can work. Um, and linking experiences across multiple channels and allowing customers to seamlessly transition from online to brick and mortar and back again is what the great retailers are starting to build. And when you do this right, it can't be duplicated by your competition. So when you truly um, take that omni-channel and deliver that great customer experience, it's much harder for somebody who's your co competition to try and sort of figure out exactly how you do it. It's hard to duplicate um, and then um, both at the traditional and the digital uh, end of things and the the winner from that is going to be you, the customer, and the, um, the, the retailer. Absolutely and as a former customer service rep, it's exciting to see some of the potential that they now have on the floor with these digitally enabled processes, whether it be endless aisle or the ability to look up product reviews and product specs immediately to have a better impact on the customer's experience and ultimately drive sales, but in an informed way. So you're meeting a kind of resonant need. Absolutely. Ian, thank you so much for your insights. I really appreciated it and it was a great time talking. Great. Thanks very much. Have a good day. Thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning into Strategy Lounge, the Level 5 podcast. To learn more about our work, please visit level5strategy.com.